I feel like so often people are so reluctant to, to have change happen. They're like, no, I've got to hold on to this, or it's always been this way, or I've always done this. This is my thing. And that is, in a lot of ways, it's resistance. And when you can kind of let go of that resistance and use it as a learning opportunity to adapt and change, sometimes letting go of things opens up new opportunities for you to grow and do different things and discover other things that you're good at and enjoy doing. Welcome to the Active Ingredient Podcast, your destination for all things personal and professional growth. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I am an intentional brand builder on a mission to inspire people to build not only their dream businesses that are fully in alignment and that actually feel good for them to be in, but more importantly, to create well-rounded lives that are in alignment with their values. I believe that we can only grow outward in proportion to how aligned we are internally, and that slowly but surely, we are all capable of creating lives that feel incredibly fulfilling to be fully present in. Hello, welcome back to the Active Ingredient Podcast. I hope that you are doing amazing and that you are having a great start to your year. I'm very excited to be releasing this episode with Nancy Twine as the first interview of 2024, because this conversation was one that I feel like really hit so many points that are so important to this show. We know the show is all about personal and professional growth. And I really believe that the external growth comes from the inner groundedness. And I find after having spoken to her for a little over an hour, just how much that is true in her story and how she consciously prioritizes listening to herself. And surrounding herself with people that she trusts to also listen to. And I just think the really cool thing about this is that it's available to every single one of us and it's a choice. And she chose the path of going slower. And it's like we look at Briogeo now, a household name, and we're, you know, like, wow, this is a massive business. It's a global brand. I'm pretty sure she's hit nine figures, like exited the business, all of these crazy things. But she at the beginning set out to do this slowly and she didn't set out to make this global brand. It was a soft, intentional, just continue to march to the beat of the drum. That is the true voice that we all have and we can all access. And the way that she prioritizes silence in her life to me is just so incredibly inspiring. And it makes it tracks like to me, it makes perfect sense that Briogeo would be at this point 10 years in the making And that's another thing I want to reiterate in the intro 10 years in the making, like we have got to slow down and just put one foot in front of the other, just like Nancy did. This is a beautiful example of someone who is a living, breathing proof point of that. So with that, Nancy, welcome to the show. You're welcome back whenever. So I kick off every episode asking the guest what they were like as a kid that they remember. And specific qualities. So the reason for the question is that I feel like people that are in flow or in alignment or just creating from an authentic place have somehow refound those childlike qualities. And I'm curious what you remember or from people in your life that they would say about you. I would say first and foremost, definitely my mom. 
you know, my mom ran a really successful physician practice. And I just remember growing up seeing her. She was always just so busy. Her office was so full. She was just like getting shit done. And especially as a young black girl seeing an older black woman doing that. And it just, you know, especially at a young age, subconsciously, I feel like it just put this confidence in me Mm. that, you know, even though I don't look like everyone else, or sometimes I'm the only one who looks like me in a room, I can still do it too. And I've just always had like this entrepreneurial spirit, you know, even just like in middle school, I used to make feather pins and bracelets, and I would sell them to students. So it was always this idea of creating something, but then getting your creation validated because someone actually wanted to purchase it. And that was like the fun part too. Mm. And so just like growing up, I always had these little knickknack things that I would do. I love that. But like people would buy them. (laughs) I'm curious about the validation piece, specifically to validation in creativity. It's something that I struggle with and a lot of founders in creative fields struggle with too because sometimes the validation comes 10 years down the line. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious for you if it's always been that like the validation comes immediately after that creation and that's what keeps you going or if there have ever been periods where the validation comes and it lags but you still stay in the zone and continue to create from an authentic place because I feel like a lot of creative people will just stop because the validation Mm -hmm. doesn't come. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, like when I launched my brand, you know, Briogeo, Sephora was one of our first retailers, but we launched without Sephora. And I remember there were months where it was like, wow, we only got like so few orders. Like, like what what's so mean? few? Like I want like someone to hear and be like, oh, okay, I can relate. Maybe like a few dozen But then it kind of made sense. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) I was like, but no one really knows the brand yet. So this is going to take time. Like there's such a big world out there. And, you know, even when you get press hits, like some of them are going to like go viral. And it's like, oh, my gosh, that was massive. And then sometimes they don't Mm -hmm. because sometimes things just have to build upon themselves. And it really just does take time. And you have to give yourself that patience to realize that. And I mentor a lot of different brands. I see their financials. I can look under the hood. And, you know, sometimes things don't look so great, right? Like brands aren't able to become profitable oftentimes their first, second, or even third year. Or sometimes they just have a really wacky month. But it really is just part of being a business owner. Nothing is perfect. And I think, too, it's just so important to have that realization, especially like, you know, if you're looking at other founders or things online, especially if you're an early founder, things can look like, oh, my gosh, this person is crushing it. And then you see your truth and you're like, well, I'm not crushing it. Yeah. But the thing is, everyone is going through their own challenges, whether or not they're you know, being public about it or not. And so I think keeping that frame of mind is super important. How did you like a tangible, actionable way for if you're in that first, second or third year where it's still not being outside validated, Mm -hmm. but you're so convinced and you're just so gung ho on your idea Mm -hmm. or your creation, whatever it is, how did you stay in the game? Because that's the part that I want to double down on because I feel like people lose the faith and they're Mm -hmm. like, this isn't it. I have to iterate. I have to pivot into something else. And there's truth to that, too. Sometimes that is that is the answer. Mm -hmm. So how do you decipher between no, stick to it. Like there's something and the validation will come down the road yeah. or let it go. 
Yeah, I mean, well, normally there is a point in which I think entrepreneurs, if they haven't gotten to a certain point that perhaps they should be at by like year three, it does signal, all right, let me look a little bit deeper. What are some things that I can tweak or what do I need to do differently? I was actually mentoring um, a founder who's had a skincare brand for three years now and it really hasn't gained much traction at all. And I kind of did a deep dive with her into the brand and there were so many just opportunities to really amplify that she wasn't even aware of. She had this incredible brand story. When she came to me, she told me this incredible story. I was literally on the brink of tears. But then when I went to her website, I was like, where's that story? Like it's nowhere to be found. So that's something that I find also when it's your baby, when it's your like it's coming from such a true place for you. Don't you find that sometimes it's so hard for you to see it entirely and express it entirely? Like it does sometimes take another trusted person to bring that out of you because I I feel like we all have such blind spots when it comes to our own thing. Exactly. And that's the word that I was going to use. And that's just what I really recommend to any entrepreneur. Don't wait until year three. You should always be seeking out feedback along the way. And I remember, you know, Sephora is such a good partner. And what they're really good at is giving feedback. And they always said to me, they're like, Nancy, you're such a good student. But she was like, you listen to all the feedback and you take the things that you believe are right and you dismiss the things that aren't. And I think that that is so key because not all feedback is going to be valid. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to, and that's where like your instinct and you have to trust your gut. You'll know if someone says something about your brand, constructive feedback, ways to improve, you'll almost get this excited feeling when you hear it because you're like, oh my gosh, they are so right. Like Like, how have I been sleeping on that? Right. (laughs) Or sometimes you'll get some advice and you're kind of thinking in your head like, "Mm, okay, you know, I'll smile and nod and I'll thank them, but that's probably not right for me. And probably that's the signal that you perhaps shouldn't action that advice. But you want to get as much perspective as possible because we all have blind spots. And especially when it comes to our brand, we have an inherent bias, right? To kind of think that like we are doing things perfectly, but oftentimes we're not. And sometimes you need that reality check. No, and it's not only like with your physical brand, it's a thousand percent those blind spots are there. But with your personal brand, I, I personally find it to be on an entire other level. Yeah, it is yeah. so incredibly hard to also take that feedback when it's you yourself. Yeah, I don't know if you find that also. I feel like your personal brand has definitely flourished over the last few years. But I find that like there it's really hard to separate your personal brand from you, the the human. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. I'm trying to think. I, f- I remember maybe a couple months ago, I got some feedback about my personal brand and I totally forget what it was and it was valid feedback. But when it comes to your personal brand, feedback is personal and you can take it personally and you can kind of get in your head about it. But again, you know, when you listen to some of the best leaders and entrepreneurs and people who have really done incredible things, it's because they listen and they really try to see the good in the advice or feedback that they're getting. And they try to separate that piece of taking it personally, because it's really hard to become better if people give you feedback and you become defensive or, you know, you get in your head about it. So you just have to kind of take yourself out of it and trust that this person has your best interests at heart and say, all right, 
let me try this. Mm-hmm. Maybe this makes sense. Do you have a certain group around you that are your people to ask for that type of feedback? And also for people that maybe send you unsolicited feedback, how do you kind of process that and separate yourself from it? Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of people around me that give me feedback, that I ask for feedback, whether it's the people I work with, PR agency, um, customers, retailers, friends. I mean, like mm-hmm. everyone. But it's there's coming certain, from every angle. <laughs> yeah, but there's certain groups where you probably have to solicit it, you know, because everyone is a little bit mm-hmm. different. Whereas, like a friend, for example, that you've known for a very long time, just has that level of comfort that they can right. just kind of tell you. Where maybe someone that you work with is a bit more, you know, fearful. So you know, hey, if I want feedback from this person. I actually have to solicit it. So I think that's really important too. Just because you're not getting feedback doesn't mean that there's no feedback to get, but you have to really sort of understand who the audience is and sort of work with them the right way to get that. And I think too, when you're giving and receiving feedback, especially if it's tough feedback, you have to create a safe space for people. Because imagine if you're out with a group of friends and you're at dinner and there's something that you've been doing that's been like irking someone and in front of this group they just go ahead and blurt out you know what nancy blah 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 you're gonna be like what the heck this was not the right forum for you to tell me that and you're probably not even going to listen to the feedback because you're more upset about how it was carried out so i think that's a big piece too is being mindful when you're giving feedback or people are giving you feedback creating that safe space because When you do have that safe environment to receive feedback, I think it's a lot easier to remove yourself from it, remove any sort of personal ties and really kind of say objectively, oh, okay, I I see how that person could think that. And let me think if I believe that too and if this is valid for me. I think it also goes back to intention, like the intention of the person. And if you know that a person around you constantly has your best interests at heart, and also the way that you provide feedback to other people, checking in with yourself, like, what's my goal here with this conversation? Like, my intention is for them to improve. My intention is for them to get to that next level, or my intention is whatever it is. But it goes back to that moment of asking yourself, what's the intention behind the person or behind my own question? Exactly. Yeah. 100%. So I want to go back to little Nancy because this all tracks for you now. And you kind of had a very interesting pivot from finance to then beauty. And I'm curious what it was about finance that attracted you originally. And do you feel like in that era you were still presenting in your like true essence when you were in finance? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think when I was in college, if there was an entrepreneurism major, I probably would have done that Mm. because I've always considered myself to have these entrepreneurial qualities. But in some ways, I'm actually glad that wasn't the case because I ended up doing something that I felt was most similar to that, which was focusing on business and then finance specifically, because I'm like, eventually, if I am going to become an entrepreneur, at least I'm going to get sort of the fundamentals of how to manage a business and how to manage you know, finances. So you um, had that in the back of your mind, like if end game is having my own thing, this is a good track? Yeah, it was just more so like I've just always been intrigued by like business. Okay. You know? Um, What about it? I think a lot of different aspects. I think for me personally, the idea of, you know, creating things and the commerce aspect and like building, building things is something that I've always really been 
interested in. Hmm. And I felt like with a finance degree, and again, you know, maybe if there were other degrees offered, I would have chosen other things. But with what I had to choose from, I thought finance would be really helpful because if you're building something, you're not just building the product, but you're also building your business model, mm-hmm. right? Because there has to be a path to being able to sustain the company. And so much of that has to do with finance and understanding numbers and understanding how to create, you know, a P&L and a balance sheet and all. And I was learning that in school, yeah. how to do that. And so I pivoted to a career in finance because I had a finance degree and I started working. My first job out of school was at Goldman Sachs and I was in commodity sales and trading. And it was 2007, which was like a really interesting time to be in finance because it was the start of a financial crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, there were banks going out of business, some of which I had like interviewed for. And, you know, for me, it's so interesting because a lot of people ask me, do I feel like I had sort of a leg up being in finance and working at Goldman and then becoming an entrepreneur in beauty because they're two very different things. But there were so many things that I learned from that experience that I feel ultimately made me a better entrepreneur. But I think if I had just come out of school and started a business, I would just, I'd have no idea. Because mm-hmm. it's one thing to have book smarts from school, but then it's another thing to actually be out in the w- real world, working with teams, learning how to negotiate, learning how to read contracts, learning how to have difficult conversations, you know, with a budget. These were all things that I was learning in my finance job that had a lot of applicability to what I actually did next. And I think in a lot of ways that gave me confidence leaving my job eventually to start Briogeo. How long were you at Goldman for? I was there for about seven years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I love pivots and I love talking about them on the show, yeah. specifically about the identity shift, because yeah. I think that this is the part so many people ask me that question, like, but how do I leave? How much savings do you have? If I really have this urge to do this thing and a lot of people think you have to just let it all go, blow it all up and start. Yeah. But you didn't. And I actually find it to be so fascinating that you started Briogeo while still working and then you didn't hire your first person until the Sephora deal. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. I want to talk about how long that took from the idea of Briogeo to the point that you fully left and hired your first person. How long did that go for? And what was the internal process of like, I'm letting go of Nancy, this finance persona to I am starting this business like this is who I am now. So I basically spent my nights and weekends at Goldman. Like I come home from work and I would start researching and figuring out, okay, like how do I find a chemist? How do I find a packaging designer? I'd have calls with people who had started brands and I'd be like, oh, you have a deodorant brand. I'm thinking about launching a hair care brand. Like, are you making this deodorant like in your house? Like, how are you doing it? And that's how I, he told me, oh no, I have a contract manufacturer. I'd never heard of a contract manufacturer before. And so by having all these different conversations with people, in a lot of ways, I was just like self-educating and sort of unlocking all the steps to be able to do these things. And before I knew it, I had found a contract manufacturer. I had found a designer. 
How many conversations did it take for you to find the one? It took, yeah. And like how long did that take also? The context here is I want to give people an actual, like this is actually how long it it takes and this is how many conversations. Not that everyone's is going to be the same. So, I mean, I think the big difference with me was that I wasn't focused on this fully. I was just spending my nights and weekends, so little bits of time. But that's the most relatable thing. This is like a three-year period of like Thank you again for saying that. Yeah. Great. You know, of just trying to figure it out because like my full days, I had like a very full job, mm-hmm. you know? No, no. Yeah. Like and Goldman. So, yeah. And at that time, I'm like, how the hell did you do that? Exactly. And so, you know, I was sending emails late at night and sometimes I would get on the phone with people at like 7 a.m. Or, you know, on my PTO, I would try to figure out how I could get things done, just being like very efficient with my time. But it was a three year period And for me, you know, I think something that's also different is I was really just trying to launch a business that I could turn into my new career. I wasn't trying to like my my goal wasn't to start like this huge global brand that, you know, would be sort of massive and all these retailers. I just wanted to start a brand. And so I really took my time with it. There was no race to the finish line um, because I had a job. And I had a lot of, you know, security with that. And also, too, I just I didn't feel like I didn't have investors. So there was no one hounding Mm -hmm. me. And I'm like, I'm just going to take my time and do this right. And when I feel like it's time to actually bring this to market and start reaching out to retailers, I will. But because I was employed and I was using money that I was making to fund this, it definitely gave me some runway that didn't rush the process, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. And why build a brand? There's obviously the business opportunity, but also from a lifestyle perspective, was there something that you were thinking that like, I want my life to look like this, which is why I want to work for myself and build my own thing? And what was the deeper motivation? Yeah, so for me, I have a really interesting family background. I mentioned that my mom was a physician, Mm -hmm. but also a chemist. And growing up, we used to make so many of our own beauty products at home using her chemistry background. Mm -hmm. And it was something that I just really loved. And for me, so much of why I started Briogeo is because I wanted to wake up each day and really do something that I loved. And I couldn't really say that about my finance career. I was very successful in it, but I wasn't like waking up super energized. Mm -hmm. Um, And also too, I have, you know, a very creative side that I feel like launching this brand that I'd be able to really explore in such a meaningful way. And so for me, so much of creating this brand was about creating purpose and passion in my life through what I was doing every single day with my career. I love it. So you're doing this while working. You launch it while still working full time, right? Yeah. So just like the website. Okay. And so that's, you know, there were just a couple of orders coming in here. And you were and there. fulfilling yourself? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So how long were you doing that for? So that was probably for about nine months or so. And then I left my job when I got interest from Sephora because I how did that come to be like how did they find you yeah I met the Sephora buyers at a big trade show in Las Vegas that is so big for the beauty industry and that was sort of when I launched the brand I went there and that was sort of the first entry into beauty kind of announcing the launch of Briogeo and that's how I met the buyers at Sephora 
And when I eventually got them to commit to bringing on my brand, I said, okay, this is a huge opportunity. I want to do it right. I'm going to need more time than just my nights and weekends. And so that's when I left my job and then transitioned to so incredible full time. I'm curious about the mindset shift that happens when you're doing a couple orders here and there that you might be seeing your brand as a small kind of mom and pop type business to then seeing an order like this, I feel like, and I could relate to this of like being like, well, we're, we're not there yet. Like we're not there yet. How did you get to the point where you're like, even having the conversation with Sephora to take you seriously at that level? What's the mindset shift that has to happen, even if you're currently only selling a few products to then actually be able to hold your own in a Sephora conversation and be like, no, actually we can fulfill that. And actually we can do that. Yeah. So I think for me, when I was choosing my manufacturers, one of the things that was so important was like flexibility and Mm. being able to really scale with that manufacturer. So to be able to do small runs when Mm. I don't have much going on, but to be able to kind of scale up really quickly. And so I think, you know, one of the things, again, kind of speaking to transferability from things that I learned when I was at Goldman is that relationships really, really matter. And so when you bring people into the fold and as soon as you get that Sephora call, you're calling your manufacturer and you're saying, hey, heads up, you know, chances are I'm going to launch with Sephora in the next four months. Like, how do we start thinking and planning for that? What do we need to do? And so making your partners part of the process with you, I think is Mm. so helpful to make sure that you can really sort of leverage their help and support during the process. Because at the end of the day, so many of your business partners, your success is their success. Totally. And you can't forget that. So they should feel as much ownership about being able to fulfill Sephora as you do. I love that. So you're doing this, you're doing the Sephora deal. You bring on your first hire. What was that first hire? So my first hire was actually an intern that then became a full-time employee, but she was really focused on the back end, the operations. So making sure that we were getting things shipped out and invoiced and put into the accounting software and just everything that had to do with the operations and logistics, because it can be a lot of work. And oftentimes, especially as a beauty founder, you're sort of more front end. You're doing the marketing and the innovation and working with the retailers. And so it's not great if so much of your time is being consumed by the back end stuff. So for me, it was really important to have someone to cover that part first. I'm curious because I've heard you talk a lot about flow, finding your flow state, your energy. What would you say is like your secret sauce, like your zone of genius that you hire around you so that you can stay in this zone? Yeah, I mean, I will say that, you know, sometimes the hardest part about running a business, whether you're a leader or an entrepreneur, it's just finding the right people and surrounding yourself with the right people. And then also knowing what you're good at, the things that you should continue Mm -hmm. to maintain doing, I think is so, so important. And I do. I think when you create that right ecosystem, it helps to support that flow state because you have the support that you need and you're able to focus your time on doing the things that, you know, you can create magic with. And I think that sort of synergy is what really makes the brand and the process really special. What are things that are part of business building or brand building that are just the things that take you out of flow state? Like when you're like, I'm thinking of these hires that I have to make because I cannot do this. It will it will hurt the business mm-hmm. if I'm doing something that drains me to that level. 
Yeah. And so for everyone, it's going to be different. What I sort of tell people is to literally take out a pen and paper and write down the things that you are most excited about when it comes to running your brand, not the things that you're great at, but the things that you're excited about. Because sometimes people can be really good at accounting. Like I have I had a finance background, like mm-hmm. I could, I could manage the finance stuff really good, but did that excite me? And so once you figure out the things that really excite you, that's where you know those are the areas that you are going to create that magic that's going to support that flow state for you. And then you think about, okay, what are all the other things that need to get done that aren't on that short list? And then that's where you have to kind of think about, okay, am I ready to hire a full-time employee or do I need a consultant? Can I outsource this? And then that's how you can start to plan your early structure. What would you say is your your genius, your flow state, like the thing that you come alive the most doing? You know, so it changes so much, you know, and we are a big company now. And so, so many of the things that I used to do, we actually have people who and teams who do those things, everything from, you know, marketing, branding, innovation. And now the things that I really love doing are things like this. It's sort of, you know, being out there telling the story, doing podcasts, doing media, training, educating, spending time with the retailers. And in a lot of ways, because I'm the founder, those are the things that only I can do. It's Mm -hmm. hard to, you know, hire someone to, you know, sort of replace that. And some of the things that I used to spend a lot more time doing, like running all the product development, and I'm still, you know, really close with the team on that, but we have such talented people And it's so awesome to kind of see that like, wow, not every idea has to come from me. They can come from this incredible team. They can come from customers. They can come from employees. And seeing the business start start to expand in the right ways beyond just the founder. So I have this table we're lying with my sister. And I'm always curious, like at the point of when, oh, it's like at the point Thank you. Right now, it's just us two. We have contractors. But I think about this all the time. I have We have a hard time. It's so us. It's so family oriented that it's done to our growth that we keep it to us for so long. Yeah. But I'm curious about, again, I'm always so intrigued by the things that you have to unlearn and let go of in order to step into the next level of growth. Yeah. And you've had so many layers of that. You've right. had so, I mean, you exited this company. I don't think it's it's disclosed how much it was for, but I mean, Brioche is a freaking massive ass brand. I'm sure it was a great deal. At every stage, you're recalibrating your totally. capacity. So how does and that this feel? happens in nature too, right? Exactly. Like not to get all like woo-woo. No, no. Like, Are you kidding me? So Do you know many... the show? Do you know the show? <laughs> it's woo-woo central. <laughs> but like, you know, it's so funny because I was in New Jersey this weekend for Thanksgiving And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I remember over the summer, these leaves were all like bright green. And now everything's like this beautiful orange and red and like yellow and all these other beautiful colors. And you see it happen with fish in the sea that, you know, transform and change given their environment. And I feel like so often people are so reluctant to to have change happen. They're like, no, I've got to hold on to this, or it's always been this way, or I've always done this. This is my thing. And that is, in a lot of ways, it's resistance. And when you can kind of let go of that resistance and, you know, use it as a learning opportunity to adapt and change, sometimes letting go of things 
opens up new opportunities for you to grow and do different things and discover other things that you're good at and enjoy doing. And so when you talk about flow too, for me, flow isn't just being in a state where, you know, things are like magic and all the doors are opening, the right doors are opening. It's also just being open to that change and that evolution that comes with it. Does that happen naturally for you? Because I am such a like it's hard. It's very hard for me. And I'm curious for someone listening how to actively practice letting go because it's it's hard, especially if things have worked for some time. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, there gives and takes, you know, sometimes letting go of things like when you first do it, you're like, oh, my gosh, why did I do that? Oh, I knew that was going to happen. It's not working the same. I've got to get back in there. But sometimes it's like, no, just give it time. Because often, too, when you're transitioning and change is happening, it can be a bit tumultuous and things can sort of fall out of place. But just trust the process and sort of as long as you fundamentally understand how the change can be beneficial, if you genuinely believe, oh, my gosh, this change, because some change really can be detrimental. Mm -hmm. But you'll know, right, through your intuition, whether or not something is evolutionary and it's like, okay, it's time for me to grow. And sometimes that's the question you have to ask yourself. Will this change allow growth and new opportunities and new experiences or Will this change totally be detrimental? And depending upon what the answer is, the things that offer growth and learning and evolution, and you can kind of see the other perspectives, sometimes letting that path unfold is the best thing that can happen. How do you check in with yourself on receiving the answer to that? And for me, a lot of it is with my body. Like I can feel when I'm really contracted or constricted. I'm curious for you, you seem so in tune. How do you proactively do that? And do you have consistent daily practices to be able to tap into that intuition? Yeah, I think for me, and I would say any entrepreneur too, we're so busy. There's so many things going on. We're like running, running, running. And that level of hecticness sustained can actually, in my opinion, affect your intuition. And I think for me, even though my weeks are so crazy, I really try to prioritize downtime as much as possible on the weekends, after work, so that I just have time to just think. You know, sometimes just like having, just not doing anything, not watching TV, not listening to music, but just thinking and just being by yourself and being in your head a bit is how you sort of start to connect with your subconscious. And whatever those things that have maybe come up throughout that week where you feel like you have to make some decisions or you have to assess things, it creates a space for you to have some clarity so that those answers and that intuition and gut feeling can actually be heard. So I think for me, the big thing is creating that alone time space to really just not do anything, to just sit, I think is so important for cultivating that. Amen. And I've found that the most potent insights that come from inside, they're soft. It's not like the the alarm bell ringing. The one that is the truest voice is so soft that it requires that level of silence to even yeah, hear it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. so, you know, spending time on your own is not such a bad thing. And I've talked to a lot of people that, especially during COVID, having so much alone time was really scary and really lonely. But like the bright side of it was for the first time ever, people spent that time to just think 
and uncovered so much. And now they're not letting that go. They're like, I want to actually hold on to this, Mm -hmm. that special sacred space to be alone and sit with myself and think. What's something maybe in that period or just in this whole entrepreneurial journey that you've sat with and had to unlearn and relearn in a way that's that's more useful to you? Maybe a belief system or something that you're like, this doesn't serve me anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to just the building a team aspect. At some point, I did every single role at the company and I got the company to a certain place. So in a lot of ways, I was successful but really sort of unlearning that just because I can do it all doesn't mean I need to, right? And creating that space so that I have the capacity to do the things that are really important for me to do, to do them actually really well. So kind of unlearning that behavior of like, I've got to do it all, I've got to control it all, and hiring and trusting people to take that off your plate. How do you regulate yourself when someone else is taking over something and the nerves are coming in like, oh, but I would have done it like this. Do you have any tips for someone who's starting to delegate these things on how much time to give it to actually recalibrate and give yourself time to just get used to this new norm? Well, I think two things. I think you have to really be thoughtful about the hiring process and making sure that you're bringing in someone that you're very, very confident has the skills and experience to do the work that you need very, very well. Like that's literally where it starts. And provided you do that right, then you should be able to trust that this person can take the responsibility. But then the other thing that comes with that, that I think sometimes people ignore, is that just because someone has experience and skills, they may not necessarily know how to do it the way that has worked successfully within your organization. So you have to train people before you just give them the work to do. You have to sit down and you have to show them, okay, this is how we do it. And that's not to say that we can't do it differently over time, but it's really important for you to understand how this way of doing things works for us and just taking that time to really sort of bring them into the fold. Because sometimes what happens is that training piece isn't there and people just come in and they kind of do things the way that they know how to do it or whatever. And that may just not be the right way for your brand, Mm -hmm. right? And so making sure that they understand is really important. I love that. Are you aware of just how huge Briogeo is? Like, do you feel it in your body? The level of success that this brand has reached is truly, I mean, first of all, I think it's so cool. Like my mom introduced me to Briogeo. And oh, my mom, really? my mom is the person who influences most of my. Yeah, she like loves YouTube, oh, loves. Tell her I said hi. No, she's obviously listening, <laughs> so she's gonna be obsessed. But she's the one who introduced me to Briogeo before I found you and your personal brand and all that stuff. It was just like the product that was in our house. Yeah, and it's just so incredibly cool to hear that you went from twelve orders or whatever it was to the place that it is right now. Was there one moment in this journey where you were like, holy shit, this is bigger than I could have ever imagined? The moment that you're like, this is this this is just huge. Yeah, I mean, I think for us very early on, like having that Sephora partnership was just massive because you're put on this almost stage of sorts, mm-hmm. right? With all of these other mega brands, like, you know, seeing Briogeo next to these big brands and And all of that, it was like, wow, this is actually happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, taking the brand from Sephora into Ulta, we're now in salon distribution, we're a global brand, all of those milestones and the awards that we've won. I mean, it's just, it really is. It really is just so, so awesome and so exciting. And it's so funny because I remember when I launched Briogeo and I used to, people used to ask me like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, 
oh, I have this hair care hair care brand, Briochio. They're like, oh, never heard of it. And now, now it's crazy. I, would I just say, got this like, again. Nine times out of ten people who I mentioned, they're like, oh my gosh, I have your product, or it's like in my hair right now. It's in my shower, which is so cool. So when you're at this height. Like, what are you looking to next? Like, what's the next north? Sometimes I find that with clients when they're at the height of like, we've all the press has been had. Like, all, I'm like, right. what? What's the, where is Briogeo going? Yeah, I mean, so Briogeo, I think our biggest milestone most recently was our entry into salon. So previously mm. we were, you know, direct to consumer through retail. And now we have the stylist client. So that is huge. And we're just getting started. And the feedback from the stylist community has been so positive. It's been so cool seeing all the content on social and just seeing how the product's being used in salon and how Mm -hmm. salon stylists are building a business, levering, leveraging Briogeo for services like scalp services, repair services with our treatments. And Mm -hmm. that's amazing, too, because not only are you getting just sort of the gift of having these products give the client this great end result, but you're also helping these salon stylists build their business Mm -hmm. and offer their clients something really unique that didn't exist in salon before. What is your go-to Briogeo product? Um, So it's the OG. It's one of the first four products I ever launched, the Don't Despair Repair Deep Conditioning Mask. I want to try it. Mine is the dry shampoo. It's like unmatched. It's in my hair right now. It actually just went viral like on TikTok TikTok? recently. Excellent segue. Yeah. So you've had Briogeo for now, what, 12 years? 10? Um, a decade. A yeah. decade. Okay. PR has changed so much. Just the whole landscape on how to market a brand has changed. I'm so curious right now, what are you seeing? It sounds like TikTok is something for sure. But right now, if you were starting a brand, what areas would you focus on? I mean, I would focus on making sure that you have a very differentiated, very well-defined strongly executed brand identity. So that's everything from your visuals, your tone of voice, how you look in store, your social, all of that stuff I think is so, so important because, you know, the beauty industry is so competitive. It's more competitive than it's ever been. And people aren't just buying products. They're also buying the brand. Mm -hmm. They want to feel like they're part of something. So being able to really articulate that well and consistently I think is just – foundational. You have to have to have that. And then I think, too, you have to just be super scrappy and agile with staying on the pulse of what is driving digital media, because Mm -hmm. that's how we consume most people, media, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, YouTube shorts. Mm -hmm. And it's changing so quickly. Just even the tactics that influencers use to create virality and how they talk about things and trends. It's all happening so quickly. So making sure that you have someone on your team at the very least who's on top of that Mm -hmm. so that you can be at the forefront. You have to send me the viral TikTok. Well, I guess I can find it if I just search Briochio. It's probably the first one. I think it's like, yeah, it's on our Instagram. I know it's on our TikTok page too. Would you say out of the platforms, TikTok is the one that you guys are paying attention to the most right now? Probably so. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. Okay. So we have to talk about just your personal brand because oh. I, I think you're doing such a great job. So you launched your website in 2023. Yes. And it's so valuable that you were talking about the hiring process right now. And I was like, this is a part of one of the articles that you just came out with. Yes. And I was like, it's it's really that valuable. Like if you're a learner by reading, your website is just next level. Thank you. But I'm curious how you approach personal brands. And at what point in this 
process of being the face of Briogeo, did you realize the power of you speaking and you being out there to promote the product? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it kind of goes back to our earlier conversation around evolution. Because early in my brand, I mean, I was just doing everything. I didn't have capacity to do interviews and to launch content and be at the forefront. I just didn't have time. But that was one of the gifts that came out of me sort of shifting responsibility to other people is I was able to sort of evolve and embrace who I am as the founder Mm -hmm. and really sort of putting myself out there more, which I think has really helped to support the brand in so many different ways. But for me, too, I'm very, very passionate about the fact that I've gotten to a place of success with Briogeo and I really feel a strong commitment to helping others, especially women who are going through a similar journey to help share with them, like some of the the tools, the resources, the lessons that I've learned. And I used to do that oftentimes in one-on-one mentorship conversations. But similarly, it's kind of like, wow, so much good information was shared. I wish I could share that with so many more people. And that's what the inspiration for nancytwine.com came from was to say, okay, all of these conversations, all of these nuggets of perspective and advice, how can we turn this into content that people all over the world can read and access and it's forever content, it's always gonna be there. And so that was really kind of phase one that I did this year. And then in early 2024, I'm gonna be launching a podcast called Maker's Mindset. Obsessed. Which I'm so excited about because This is really a way to get people into these very intimate conversations to not just learn from my perspective, but the perspective from this incredible list of women entrepreneurs, leaders who have done so many incredible things. And I want people to learn from that. And also, too, when you see people who look like you or who are doing the things that you want to do, that's part of that subconscious process of starting to believe that you can do it too, right? Like 1,000%. Like is believing, and I want to do my part in bringing more of that to the forefront. It's so funny. I'm so excited for you for this podcast <sighs> journey because when I started Active Ingredient, I, I was really doing it so that I had access to be able to ask the questions because I thought that all the answers lied externally. But what happened was like the more that I, I sat down with people, I saw myself in them. And I was like, okay, so you could do it or you were at that level or you had 12 orders in the beginning. And you know what yeah, I mean? And it's yeah. like, I'm in that, position right now so I actually can see a path forward and it's invaluable and I think it's so great that you're able to share not only on your website but also on the podcast I'm just very excited for you I feel like it's one of the most fulfilling things truly and especially if connection is at the core it seems like if like what you love to do is speak to the manufacturers and your retailers and the teams like connection is at the core of podcasting so I think this is going to be a great channel for you same I'm very excited so when does it launch So it's going to launch in the first quarter of 2024, either late Jan, early Feb. Amazing. And available wherever you can listen to podcasts. Exactly. Okay. So I have two parting questions. First, what are you excited about personally and professionally going into 2024? So personally, I'm really excited about really starting to expand this sort of give back, I call it, to entrepreneurs through content So many people have reached out to me just through reading the articles, being like, oh my gosh, I needed that. 
or that really helped me. No, with they're that really valuable. Thank you. I read the oh. the hiring one because like I'm in that process. Yeah, it's a big process. Yeah, it's, and it was it's really good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And just to be able to do more of that and finding, you know, unique ways to, you know, share my story and help to inspire other people. That's really the big personal goal for 2024. And I'm so glad too that you split this out personal versus professional. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes people focus so much on their professional goals that they totally neglect, well, what do I want as a person? And they really should go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Um, and then from a professional perspective, it's like, wow, you know, September of 2023, we celebrated 10 years of Briogeo. I mean, let's let's have another just awesome decade Incredible. ahead. And how do we just continue to reinvent ourselves, evolve, grow you know, launch incredible innovation. That's just what I'm super focused on. Obsessed. Okay, last question. For someone listening, I feel like we've hit on this, but just parting words for someone listening that sees you in flow, sees you living in alignment. And and I know that flow and alignment, it's not 24-7, but it seems like you've really found a lot of it and it's very present in your life. Someone listening who's like, I really want that for myself. I really want to start putting one foot in front of another to build a life that feels fulfilling to me in my way, what advice would you give them? Yeah, it's such a good question. And actually, just this week, I posted on Instagram um, this carousel because me and a group of girlfriends did like a vision board making. And it was so powerful because we had this group of women who were all doing different things in different industries And we kind of like literally sat in silence for a bit, like flipping through these magazines and letting our heart and mind connect with photos and words and images that really resonate with what it is our spirit wants to accomplish. And I will say the biggest part of being able to get into flow state is really understanding what is it that you want. And understanding that will help you to frame a vision for what it looks like, like literally close your eyes. And what does that dream job look like? What does that romantic relationship look like? What is that, you know, body or fitness, whatever it is, look like, like envision it. It's like look like and feel like. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Both of those. Yeah. And then really using that to set some intentions, really writing down on paper, this is what I intend to become, to do, to have happen at any point. You can do it at the start of the New Year's. A lot of people do. You can do it, though, at any point. And once you have that vision down, just thinking about what are those little baby steps that I can take to start marching in that direction? And it doesn't have to be this huge, massive thing, but just little baby steps And the combination of setting those intentions, having those few baby steps, like literally, and I say this, I love this phrase, the universe will start to conspire on your behalf. People will start to come into your life. Circumstances will start to manifest. Things will start to shift. And I really, really believe in that. And that's how you get into your flow state. But you have to do the work of really understanding what do you want? What does your heart want? And let that guide the path. I could not agree more. What a way to end the episode. I love it. You're welcome back whenever. And thank thank you you. so much for everything you're doing. I actually am very excited for your podcast. I'll be listening. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Anything else? Where can people find you? Yeah. So you can find me personally on Instagram at Nancy Twine and follow Briogeo. Also at Briogeo. 
Guys, the dry shampoo, like I'm not kidding. Yeah, you gotta it's, try the dry shampoo. No, no, no. It's, it's and I have to try the mask clearly, but yes, the, but yes. the dry shampoo, it goes where I go. Yes, it's always it's with so me. Good. It's so it's good. So and good. It's travel friendly. Yeah. No, I am telling you, like I travel with it every single time. Yes, it's yeah. so good. And then briogio.com. You can also shop at Sephora and Ulta and the nancytwine.com for the content site. Hey. You're welcome back whenever. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so. This was so fun. Thank you so much for getting to the end of the episode. And more importantly, thank yourself for choosing to learn more about how to come home to yourself. As always, take what resonates with you and simply let go of what doesn't. I would really appreciate it if you can give the show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen, because that's the way that the show will continue to grow. And we are all about growth here. I'm sending you so much love and I will see you next week.